it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. And this week, we go back and visit Matt King and Glenn Wignall, who, with their best friend Trent Evans, have quietly been building the Grifter Brewery in Sydney's Inner West. We visited the guys back in January 2018, and I'd invite you to go back and listen to that chat first, if you haven't already, to learn the background to the brewery, which we don't cover in too much detail in this episode. But one of the things that struck me during that earlier conversation was just how quietly the Grifter team got on doing what they did and not making much noise about it. In the intervening years, they've continued not making waves on social media or even troubling our inbox with endless media releases or attention-seeking novelties. So it was that when I wandered into the brewery back in March this year when I was in Sydney, hoping to just have a quiet beer, I chanced to bump into Matt and Glenn and had a brief catch-up. I was gobsmacked when they said that they were expanding again, and when I asked, they said that they had passed through the million-litre production mark. They said it in a way that I suspected that they'd done it a little while before. Now, the million-litre production mark is one of those figures touted as being close to the other side of the Valley of Death, as their Queensland cousin Black Hops Brewery has described it in a blog post. If you want to read Black Hops' post, there's a link to it in the show notes. It's well worth the read. The amazing thing about passing through that milestone, and it's something that Matt and Glenn confirm in this episode, is that the grifter has done it just so quietly compared to a brewery such as Black Hops that has driven its business very successfully, harnessing the power of hype and novelty. And I say that in admiration of Black Hops, not in scorn. But to me, it made the grifter something of a unicorn, doing something that not many breweries seem to have done and that's growing to the scale of much more notable breweries in such an unassuming way, and in a market that many describe as crowded, particularly in Western Sydney. So I was very keen to go back and revisit the team and see if I could learn more about their secret source, or at least where they learned how to make their secret source to crack that tough nut of growth, if I'm allowed to mangle some really bad metaphors, of the beer business, because it does seem to be something that is a little bit unusual in the current industry. I delayed chatting uh, with the guys in the hope that we could do it in person, but the new normal continues to be the new normal, and so I had to do it by Skype, and I apologise for the audio quality. Despite that, I hope you find the conversation as interesting and as enlightening as I did. And this is my chat with Matt King and Glenn Wignall. Matt King, Glenn Wignall, welcome back to Beer as a Conversation. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for having us. Pleasure. Look, you know, just for those, uh, as I said in my intro, we spoke to you three and a half years ago, back in January mm-hmm. 2018, when we did a bit of a sweep through the, uh, you know, Sydney's inner west. I think we described it in that podcast as a handful of breweries. There's been something of a of an explosion even since then. Um, you know, how are you guys feeling yeah, about what's gone on in the last three and a half years? Yeah, there's definitely been a couple more that have come on board. Um, overall, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Um, we haven't noticed any sort of 
like slowing down of any trade or anything like that. It's been very steady as new people have come on and just brought a bit more excitement to the area as a whole, I would say. Which is interesting because when we did speak three and a half years ago, you were talking about being locals as you were at the time. And I don't know if you both still live in the, uh, the, the area, but you'd notice that on weekends, the people who were there were mainly in that area for the um, for, for for the breweries, and so you seem to have become an area that attracted a precinct um, that were bringing you know a lot of new people to come and visit the breweries. Is that still the case? Yeah, the area draws in a lot of people from from all over Sydney. So that that is the one positive about um, the more breweries. Like we haven't seen the dial shift too much for us with, with the more that have been added, but I guess that there would, there would be a limit. And I kind of feel like the limit is about now. I know that there's more in, in, in the pipeline coming. So I think that there'll be a few more over time, but definitely I think um, it's, it's a big draw card. Like it, it's a big draw card for people from all over to come. And, and I think it's starting to get more recognized out of Sydney. You know, people travel to Sydney and, around their plans would be to do the brewery crawl, I, I believe. So I think it's a really mm. strong draw for the whole for the whole area. It's interesting, though. I spoke to uh, Peter um, Philp from Waywood last week on the podcast, and, you know, you, you get the feeling that he really is sort of saying, whoa, if you want to set up a brewery, go somewhere else. Um, and I, I didn't go too deeply into the whether he – he was seeing business effects for his tap room, but you, you guys seem to think that it's it's actually a bit of a draw card and it's bringing people in. Yeah, yeah, I'm cool. I'm cool with it. Like I said, I think that there's naturally going to be a bit of a limit. Um, uh, but yeah, generally, I mean, I, I'm pretty strong on like what we do in our direction. I'm pretty comfortable with what we bring and and that kind of thing to the makeup of it all. So. I'm I'm pretty good. I'm we're, we're just sort of always been head down, bum up, and 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 work hard, and you know worry about ourselves more than more than others. So I think if 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 I was going to be doing this again um, in 2021, I would probably reconsider doing it in this area. <laughs> um, it just just because I, I would probably feel a little bit you know scared to come into the zone because it's kind of pretty stitched up as far as it as it stands, but. Um, that that's not like a warning or anything like that by any means, but um, you know the way beer's going and the whole regional aspect of it does make sense to have breweries in every sort of area where there's a certain amount of residential people living and stuff. So I'd probably consider that as a smarter option. Well, let's just go back and I, I, look. As I said, anyone that is interested in, um, you know, the foundation stories of how you two met and came to to start the Grifter, um, you know, through your home brewing days, your contract brewing days, working at Young Henry's, Stone and Wood, go back and listen to it. It was a great um, chat. But I just wanted to get a couple of quick updates on um, where we are now as compared to then. Um, Now, back then, I think you said that 90% of... Your production was sold through keg sales. Is is that still the yeah. case? That is definitely not the case. No. Um, <laughs> Thanks, COVID. <laughs> uh, I mean, a bit before COVID, it started to shift for us when we um, really when we started printing our cans. So we did the whole labeling of cans, East Coast, uh, twelve hundred liters at a time thing, um, and it just uh, it just kind of wasn't for us that 
that model, I guess, but we had to start somewhere, you know what I mean? So printing on cans can be quite high and daunting at that stage when we're just sort of going into uncharted waters. So, um, but yeah, I, I'd say the split now is probably, it's pretty close to 50-50, which is still pretty strong for keg. Like our keg side of the business has always been pretty, pretty strong. Um, but yeah, obviously we're shifting in, in all those buzzword sort of times that we're in <laughs> at the moment. As you pivot. Uh, let, let, let's put it out there now let's and get it get pivot. it done. Let's stick with pivot, yeah. Okay, so 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 it's come down a little bit from then. And what was the actually just even to benchmark us? Um, you were at that stage. I think you'd said you had doubled production in the six months leading up to that conversation. Do you have any idea where your production volume, your, your total production volume, would have been three and a half years ago? Oh, uh, if if I had to. Yes, I'd say about 400,000 litres. Litres, okay. That's a pretty off-the-top-of-my-head estimate. That's Glenn, like... would, you, would you say that's about right? Yeah, sounds in design. Okay, and now, yeah. any? Uh, are you willing to share, you know, ballpark, what sort of numbers you, you're pushing out now? Yeah, we're up over a million litres now. Okay, so, yeah, that's, okay. That's, that, was our, that was our target for a wee while there, so we hit that a little while ago, and... Um, yeah, we're just sailing into to the future now, wherever that takes us. Okay, and, and in terms of volume, that's interesting because that's one of the numbers that you often hear brewers talking about. You know, there, there's a, there's that valley that you get into that some call the valley of death. That if if you do want to grow, you you need to move through that because. To, to, to get over that million litres, you know, you, you're looking at more staff, you know, bigger production, um, particularly if you're growing from a small brewery. That must have mm. been, you know, a, a pretty big move for you guys to, to, to break that million litres um, and, and, and do it, um, you know, presumably uh, quite well, you know, quite successfully. Yeah, we, we put it in place. Yeah, it's just something to strive to. Like, we didn't really, you know, looking back, I can kind of thinking like, gee whiz, how are we ever going to get to it? But, um, it kind of flew past, to be honest. We didn't really make a big song and dance about it, but internally we were pretty stoked to hit that number. Uh, but, yeah, we've, we've been at the crossroads a few times with production, which Glenn can probably touch on. But we just, we've got a space that is, we're pushing its limits of, of what it can do. Um, I think you walked in on us a little while ago when we, when we saw you down in Sydney and we were looking at tanks and stuff. Yeah, on, on that sort of doom and, and gloom, Topic that what you would refer to as Death Valley or something yep. before, um, yeah. I, like over the years, we've heard a lot of that as well. Kind of like the sort of idea that it's not really worth pursuing unless you can get to this sort of size. And um, I've kind of feel like we disagree. Would you say that's fair, Matt? Yes, yeah, <laughs> I agree. Good. Obviously, obviously, like people get into things for different reasons. We've probably had a different trajectory than others. We've done it quite slow and steady, but um, it's always been um, it's always been pretty pretty smooth for us. We've never been in like any dire situations along the way, like climbing up in terms of like volume and stuff like that. So um, yeah, it's a different different perspective, I guess. Well, that, that, and that was one of the things that I wanted to to talk about because when we when we did get together. Um, Last time when uh, James, uh, Pete and I were, were together, um, you know, you were talking about 
having maxed out the brew house and that you wish you had more space and you're still in the same venue but I think you've taken a little bit more space and you've certainly put in the brew house that you were talking about back then. Yeah, when you visited us the first time, it was a 12 hectolitre two vessel system which was the original kit that we bought Um, and then we did an upgrade after that which was like moving to a 24 hectolitre brew house with four vessels so we upped the amount of work that we could put out massively and basically just bolted on a whole bunch of extra tanks um, to push up volume from there. Um, and then we, with that upgrade, we switched over to steam as well. So um, that's been that's been good. Uh, and yeah, we've just sort of been been pushing it off that brew house since then, um, making sure we're getting as much out of it as possible. Look, I've always had the feeling when I speak to you both that and particularly when you go back and listen to the podcast you you did start as home brewers and you were contract brewing and then you put in a tank it it sounds like you've gone very slowly and steadily but also learned very much from doing um you know bootstrapping your operation and you didn't go into it with a six-year business plan where you know you were well resourced you had a team of advisors it really sounds like you've done what you've done almost by instinct and feel and learning. Is that a reasonable observation? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely is. Um, I sort of feel like it's, I don't know, It's what, what's the right professional answer to it, but that's it's definitely um, the way we've always just kind of grown with the brand, um, that kind of, we're just determined by, by that. So that's just been our approach. I think sometimes we, we've been a bit, off the mark to do things but it's kind of turned out to be a benefit because you can see you can just take that time to see what everyone else is doing and what's worked and hasn't worked and then you can kind of avoid some of the pitfalls I think so um, yeah. I guess like an example of that would be like we didn't jump on the canning super yeah, early um, and just yeah. sort of yeah just sat there and, and watched how it went and then when we knew like we dipped our feet in the water by just doing contract canning for quite a while like a lot longer than we really needed to. Um, but then when we did it, you know, we, we bought a, a pretty decent fast machine, you know, that's going to see us into the, into the future. So just, I guess, yeah, just taking a, a slower considered approach, I suppose, has been a bit of a benefit. Yeah, look, canning's a big one that I look back on and I'm like, why didn't we do that earlier? You know, it's like, it seems crazy that we mm. didn't do it earlier, but I'm kind of glad we held out because technology improved, the equipment improved. Um, and we were good to go by the time it was all in. So, um, yeah, that's been one massive, massive plus. Again, going back to listen to the podcast, hearing you both, it, it, it sounds like you each have a different skill set um, and, and a different approach, but you work very well together. Um, mm. How do you break down your, your roles within the brewery? You know, who, who does what? And how mm. do you describe your personal skill sets, maybe starting with Glenn first? Personal skill sets, oh, that's a tough question. Um, well, I guess day to day, I'm at um, I'm at what we call G1. So we've actually got two sites these days. Um, G1 is the the brewery and the tasting bar. So that's where we all started, and that's sort of where I've remained. And my you know main role going into this was the head brewer, um, which is definitely not the case these days. So I've sort of filled my position there and sort of taken a step back. And I just sort of refer to myself more as a director these days, but in charge of the production side of things. 
that's where I spend most of my time. But it's very varied. Like, I guess you probably would have heard um, Jay and Danielle talk about wearing multiple hats um, in their interview, and it's very much like that. Um, after I get off the phone here, I'm going to get on another call to a, um, some IT company to try fix a problem with our computer in the lab. Just, <laughs> I'm just... I just fill in a lot of the gaps, really. Um, yeah, that's sort of my, my area. Yeah, and for me, as the business has grown, like um, starting out, I had, you know, minimal commercial brewing experience and sort of just tried my hand at it for a while and did what needed to be done and was probably more the manual hands of it all and, you know, did that for a few years. But as, as the business has grown, I mean, we're nine years this year and I'm – I've, I've taken over an official role, like I've given myself an official job title, I guess, of this year, which is um, Director of Sales and Marketing. Um, and so I, I think there's a third person too, Trent, who's not here today, who um, sent his regards, but he, um, he, he's a graphic designer by trade. So I think amongst the three of us, you know, Glenn, production, um, sales and marketing, and Trent being the creative and, and designer of, of the brand, it's a, it's a really good makeup and we all... You know, we're all friends and we're all still good friends. And we all get along um, really well. Um, we all think the same. We're on the same wavelength. And, yeah, I just think it's a really good makeup and it's a really good handle on the whole business um, in terms of sort mm. of operation stuff. So um, there's definitely areas, like, we need to improve on as we are growing with, like, leadership stuff. And I'm finding that, like, that, that's something that's going to be, you know, challenge me personally for quite a while, I think. It's, it's something I need to learn and, and work on. But overall, I think across the three of us, we, um, yeah, it's, it's a good makeup. But where have you developed those skills? Um, because, when again, from memory, you both, if, if my calculations are right, you'd both be in your early to mid-30s now. Um, and when you started the business, you were still fairly young. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you're still young now. But you didn't have that level of business experience and certainly not in an industry that's as rapidly changing and dynamic as the brewing industry has been. How have you gone about learning the skills and equipping yourselves um, with with the practical skills you need to run the business and not just make beer? I guess like we we have a lot of help as well. I mean, I'm not – me and Matt, there's there's areas that we don't really touch that much, you know, and that's – Sort of the HR and finance side, which um, my wife handles quite well. So, you know, we don't do everything. I mean, for a while there, we did the majority of everything, but you kind of you get to a point where you realise you can't do everything, so you kind of got to step back and and take help from other people. And fortunately, we were in a better position to be able to, to pay for that, um, which has been good. But I, I don't know. I guess like I've had other roles in the past that may have contributed to some of the skills that I, I use on a daily basis. But um, in terms of like the practical brewing, obviously that was just all self-taught stuff. Obviously Trent's done training in his area um, in that sort of design capacity. But um, I don't know, man, just street knowledge, I guess. <laughs> I mean, for, for me as well with that, like I am not a sales, per- I've always said I'm a pretty poor salesperson and, there's no way I could roll up and get a job somewhere else doing what I do. But I feel like the the brand that we've built, which is, you know, growing on 10 years, it's all for, for the three of us, it's a bit of an extension of us, you know, a lot of what we like and our likes go into that brand. So 
it's it's easy to sell for me and it's easy to market for me because I know it so well. So I feel like we're pretty in touch with the drinker and and the customer and um, yeah, I find I find that kind of an easy part of my job. If I'm being honest, it's one of the things that fascinates me about you guys and the the brand because as I've observed the brewing industry for you know for 15 16 years um very closely very you know, in, in a professional capacity um and we even remarked on it uh, when we caught up that grifter was one of those brands that we never get a media release from you we never you know there's never any chest thumping social media there's never any you know attention grabbing hijinks uh, or anything along those lines um we we don't see you constantly on the podium at the you know various beer awards and you, yet you've grown much faster than a lot of the breweries that have done all of those things and you've done it very very quietly and very very modestly and uh, that's what fascinates me about how how you guys have have, have done that um you know because it's a there, there seems to be something very sustainable about your business because of that yeah, it seems to be. Hopefully, we can work on that. The, those podium finishes. I'd like a few medals or awards to come come to the pool. Hey, we got we we got a couple, mate. Oh, and, couple. again, now it's, sorry, and, and I. It's not that you haven't <laughs> been recognised for your beers and having enjoyed your beers. Mm. Um, you know, absolutely, the quality is there, but there are just some breweries you can consistently uh, see. You know, it, it's not not that they're trophy hunting, but. They take a very strategic approach to their, you know, awards campaigns and things like that. And uh, you, you do tend mm. to see them, uh, and when they do win, you see it reflected in their social media. Um, so it wasn't a statement about the quality of your mm. beer, but it was just more about your approach to to celebrating your your, your wins. I guess, like what Matt said before, it's kind of an extension of ourselves, I suppose. Yeah, pretty pretty modest and. Don't like to we, shout we, out too much about that sort of thing, but um, yeah, and there's, and there's nothing, there's nothing really, nothing wrong with that. No, look again, without you know wanting to sound like I'm blowing too much smoke. It's no, no, totally. It, it, it's actually an incredibly impressive thing um, that, given that I um, <laughs> take some uh, breweries' marketing and things to task, it, that I, I actually think that it's mm. you know it, it, it says a lot about what you guys are doing. Um, generally, that you're able to do it that way, but I'm just wondering, is it a function of your personalities that you do it that way, or was it a strategic decision that saw you just go about the slightly quieter route? No, not really. Uh, I wouldn't definitely say strategic. Say strategic. No. no. Um, everything that you know. Again, don't don't want to use the buzzwords. You know, I'm going to. That's just my way of saying that I'm going to use them. But um, <laughs> natural and organic sort of growth. We just kind of feel it out and just kind of do what's right at the time a lot of it and we don't have like a marketing department or anything so to speak like that is my area and a lot of it is is fueled by me but like the sales guys you know they double up and 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 do some marketing initiatives too and um but we don't really have like that's not like a huge focus it's kind of pretty natural sort of marketing like the i feel like the the products stand out um for themselves and uh, definitely around Sydney, I think it, it's just it's grown to be this um, relied upon and sort of honest beer. I, 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 that's kind of just where I want to sit. So, I think we, we probably 
spend more time focusing on the brand and and what we're doing and and I suppose just authenticity just kind of comes from that and people respond to it I guess. But again, where did that where did that insight that that's the way to grow your business come from? Was it something that is just a natural your natural way of doing things, or were there, were there businesses that you watched closely and modelled yourselves on? No, I wouldn't say we modelled on anyone, but I think I've sort of thought about this in the past, and I can't say for sure. But me and Trent, coming from skateboard backgrounds, you know, you start skateboarding at a young age, and you kind of you're just watching all these these brands and these skateboarders and these people and how what they're doing and how they sort of conduct themselves and as I kind of got better at skateboarding you sort of end up in a way marketing yourself and your skills kind of um, and I, I think some of that just sort of bled into maybe our approach I don't know would you would you agree a little bit Matt not that you skate but maybe just through other influences as well like music and and that sort of thing yeah yeah it's definitely yeah, I would agree with it. When I was in Sydney uh, late last year, and I and I bumped into you both in in the bar, and I've been wanting to get back and have this chat with you ever since. You know, I was fascinated about seeing how, as I travelled around Sydney, how broadly ranged you were, um, mm-hmm. but I still didn't see obvious flashiness about any of of your marketing. So, how have you built those relationships to get ranged in, in a very competitive market? Um, well, we've been, we've been around one of the longest. So again, going on 10 years next year, sort of mid, mid, early to mid next year will be 10. So, um, there's that, you know, being, being around for a little while, the, the tasting bar is a big element of the brand and the experience, I guess. So like, I think it's, and we touched on this back in 2018 when we spoke, but being able to walk into sort of our world and our brand really helps it in the market all the attention around people coming to Marrickville, odds are that, you know, these venues have been to our venue, really enjoyed it, hopefully enjoyed the beers and, and wanted to range them. So um, there's that. And then you know, we're, we're sort of as well, like I guess a bit of a side note, but we've got a few signs around. That's be, kind of become a bit of a thing. So we've got a lot of light boxes out the front of pubs these days and stuff like that. And again, that's all happened through relationships we have with the venue and, you know, it might be an old TAB light box or something that we take over that we've asked a question <laughs> about or something like that. Uh, but yeah, just very, again, I don't want to sound too like we don't try. We definitely try and, and, we, and we work hard at it, but we really just market the, the brand and the beer through social media and then through those personal relationships that we've built over a pretty long period of time. Mm. I'm, again, I'm, I'm, I don't know what question to ask to crack your secret sauce because there's. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wish I had an answer. Maybe I just don't have an answer. Yeah, we don't. We, don't, we, don't, we, don't we probably know, don't know sure. ourselves. Yeah, but that in itself is why you know I refer to it as you know instinctive. Uh, you know because you. you, you it sounds like you just do what you do and you do what seems sensible and right and feels right as opposed to going, well, on Chapter 7 of the Brewdog, um, you know, build a business thing, they said, you know, on day 15 you do a social media post saying this. Um, it, it doesn't sound like it's formulaic. It sounds like it's, it is, as you, you know, buzzwordly said, a buzzword because it also describes exactly what you're saying, mm. that it's organic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is really. I mean, Trent, Trent does a really like he's a great graphic artist, and we have lots of good connections with um, illustrators and stuff like that. Like, we've got a really good network of people around us to represent the brand how we want it to look. 
Um, and because we've got the years experience behind us, like personally, I believe that I, I create things or, or come up with ideas based on the consumer. Like I know what's going to work and what's sort of not going to work because I know the, I feel like I know the customer so well because we built this thing, you know, and 10 years ago. So, oh, and, and we, we are the customer as well, you know, like yeah. we're not, we're not removed from it at all. Like we're, we're down at the pub drinking these beers, other people's beers looking at what's going on you know we sort of study study the game because we're passionate about it how many staff have you got now uh including the hospitality staff and including the the, the sales team around 30 okay so and when you got into it you got into it because you thought you'd have a crack you know you're home brewing you're, you're mm. interested in it you know has as the business grown and you've become you know bosses um with staff that you have to correct and manage and all of those sorts of things has has that taken any of the shine off for you or are you still enjoying it still i'm, I'm still enjoying it it, it does it, it throws challenges at you along the way i mean the way i've always referred to it is like you know we're, we're climbing this mountain or whatever and we, and we get to the a top or a little peak after we say upgrade the brew house from a 1200 to a 24 and we sort of wait there and think, do we want to keep going up? You know, do we want to keep going? And along the way, we've been at periods or times when we're like really happy with the business as a whole and the level of employees and stuff. But we just feel like we've got this thing that kind of needs to keep going. And um, yeah, I would say it's just like more staff is probably going to throw more challenges, but um, we sort of have a limit of where we're going to get to because of the size of our facility, you know what I mean? So we can only fit so many tanks or do so many brews in a day, and that's probably going to be kind of it for that space. Like we can't go up again with the brew house and stuff like that. So um, we've still got a good amount left in us. But, um, yeah, there's definitely been times along the way when we're just sort of thinking, do we want to keep going because we're pretty happy. So And that's sort of era of the business i think a lot more time is spent by us the directors i mean on that subject you know like staff and and hr and things like that i i guess like the longer we're around and the longer people are with us um you start to realize that you know they everybody has career ambition and goals and things and you sort of need to consider that so yeah we've we've put we've put things in place where we um you know regularly catch up with staff and and have open lines of communication so that we can understand where they want to go and, and they know where we want to go and hopefully, you know, we can get on the same path together. Um, I think my, my wife's safe has been, been great at implementing all that stuff. And, yeah, we, we, we definitely value it and think it's very important. One of the things that fascinates me is that growth seems to be a bit of an insatiable beast, you know, that mm. you can't just get to a plateau and go right we've reached the stage where you know we're paying our bills we're paying our staff we're putting money aside for our maintenance and any upgrades or any improvements we're paying ourselves we can just stay at x million liters and so long as we can maintain this we're good there seems to be this constant pressure that some people put on themselves either it's looking at what other breweries are doing or we need to stay match with them or just you need to keep growing in order to make the thing hopefully profitable are, are you guys at a stage that if you said look we're just happy here that the business would survive if you're able to maintain that same volume yeah i'm definitely comfortable with that we would we wouldn't be surviving if we stayed at this level 
uh, I think the growth topic kind of a lot of the times when we decide to, you know, undertake some growth is because we're just genuinely excited about it. And, you know, we've got a lot of people calling and asking for our beer and we want to get it to as many people as possible. We've never really pushed too hard for the growth. We've always kind of let the demand build and then service that demand, if, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, it's been a different way of approaching it, I suppose. It's being pulled into the market as opposed to driving into the market is the way that it sounds. Yeah, it's for me because you know, we, we, we do our own deliveries and we've got a second site, as Glenn mentioned, which is our cooling facility and it's where we do all of our logistics out of. And there's more issues around not having something than having it. Like it's, it's, it's harder to say no to somebody or, sorry, you can't have five cases, you can only have two. Like that's when a, an operation becomes really hard to run and manage. Mm. So it was sort of easier to just add it on and, and grow with it, you know. And then, and then like, you know, when, when we sat with you three years ago, I never thought we would have got to, like, I mean, certain beers like Serpent's Kiss, our Watermelon Pilsner and Pink Galar. Like, I, I never thought, I don't even think Pink Galar was developed back then. I think we mentioned we might might have been trying it out. but um, beers like that have just been like the demand for them have been pretty huge and it's just like we're i feel like we're doing people a disservice by limiting it so much or not offering it you know it's like it's harder to do that and to manage that than it is to to just grow let's talk a little bit about the beers because the the watermelon pilsner was one that we 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 did talk about because it was you, you you felt the pressure to constantly have it on. It was initially a one off, I think, but then yeah. you went in in partnership, uh, you know, as a collaboration. But then you felt the pressure to, to keep it on. Um, back in those days, you said that your pale, you changed a little bit. It probably wasn't as full body to pale ale as you know the early American mm-hmm. pale ales were, but you know it was outselling anything by four times. I, I, I think the number was then. How yeah. what, what's your number one seller now? Yeah, it's still pale. And it's still still around that sort of three to four times our next most popular, which is the Serpent's Kiss, Watermelon Pilsner. But yeah, Pale Pale is that sort of brand beer for us. It, it is a bit of a struggle too because like you, when when it comes down to things, you sort of want people to be holding that orange can, you know, like mm-hmm. our, our colours of our brand is, is an orange can. So we, we kind of, I guess we've steered it into that, that direction over the years, but it's still by far our most popular beer. One of the things that constantly amazes and exhausts me um, as somebody who, who <laughs> writes about the brewing industry is just how quickly new beers or new styles or new you know new interpretations of styles um, are, are constantly popping up. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously we're a bit of a focus to, to get a lot of the media releases and things, but it must be exhausting trying to keep up with innovation and change in an industry that once upon a time was just making hoppy IPAs and hoppy pale ales and looking at, at, at beers. How, how do you, you guys staying on top of, you know, do you feel the need to create a new beer every week just to stay, you know, as cool as the cool kids? We, we do, we do, a, we do a little, uh, to an extent, probably just more for our tap room though. So, and that, and that's more like every two to three weeks. So, I definitely would be probably exhausted and feel freaked out about that if we were canning all of these beers. Like too many skews is kind of my worst nightmare. <laughs> so we've always tried to ref, you know, have a pretty refined offering um, when it comes to packaged products. And then we sort of let let that, I guess, that freedom of, of 
of creativity and, and different styles and stuff um, really for the tap room. And that, that is, it is a, like, it, it, it's fun when it's, when it's like limited that much. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'd be pretty exhausted by canning so many different beers. And I think trying to stay up with that, that would probably do my head in a little bit. How about as a brewer, Glenn? Uh, do you feel the same way? I don't feel like any pressure to like keep up with the Joneses or anything in terms of putting out new beers or anything. I think it's just something we naturally want to do ourselves. Um, keeps us all, you know, interested. Staff like it. The punters like it. Uh, I do agree. It can be pretty exhausting, but we just sort of try to keep a nice balance, really. We spend most of our time focusing on our core range, and then there's a bit of time dedicated to like seasonal releases and cans and then we we put out something new and keg we tried to every three weeks up until covid um but yeah i wouldn't say there's any there's any major pressure there but it's just something that we we want to do one of the questions i did ask you uh, when we last spoke was you know career ambitions and you know did you want to sell or did you see an end date for your in- involvement in the business since we spoke we've suddenly seen the rise of the equity crowdfunding campaign um mm-hmm. are, are you guys still you know have you taken on any investment um you know in in the business to gr- to grow or have you grown from revenue basically yeah never needed anything uh i guess that comes back to the slow and steady thing we've never really bitten off anything too big. I mean, upgrading the brew house was a pretty big. Yeah, what do you want? It was a pretty big upgrade. But mm. um, other than that, it's just it's always been pretty steady. Um, so yeah, we've been fortunate enough to never have to. I mean, we, when I, I I touched on crossroads before, like we have been at crossroads where we're like we just don't have any more room in this facility. You know, we're in a we're in a an industrial sort of estate of of a few warehouses. So we're wedged in between two warehouses and we're sharing a car park and it's. It's on the main street in Marrickville. It's only there's, there's actually a limit to what we can do in there. So, we 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 talked about you know do we go find something bigger and do we move you know production facility somewhere else and um, that probably would have needed some form of investment. Um, but we never got far down that that chat amongst ourselves. We just kind of put everything we had into this this MOO side and um, that's where it'll be. I guess we we. We managed to find a solution where we can stay in the current premises, which, you know, we're pretty attached to, like our, it's our home, you know, um, but still continue to grow. So kind of halfway through an upgrade at the moment where we managed to shuffle a whole bunch of stuff around. We've got a bunch more tanks on the way and we've also got um, a new centrifuge as well. Yeah, we've, we've, we've just been, you know, adding bits and pieces to try to up the the volume and it's going to keep us busy for the next few years hopefully and i don't know i guess we would you say we're not that good at looking too far into the future are we Matt? <laughs> no not really kind that's of, pretty bad yeah, to say publicly yeah but, um uh, yeah we're not but i mean it's yeah i don't know we just we don't get too far ahead of ourselves but um that's a, that's a positive and a negative i guess but um yeah, yeah. The up the upgrade will hold us in good stead for like the next few years. Um, we'll have some space to go into. Um, we, when we got the second site as well, which we kind of we we're, were in the planning stages in 2018, is when things really opened up for us. Like that, you know, we we should have done that earlier, and that kind of gave us confidence to sort of really put the foot down because we were just so limited on space. 
um, at Emerald Road. It just took a while to. So to what's realize. it? The second space is it just warehousing and storage, or? Yeah, yeah. So mainly just a cool room, it's about a two hundred and square meter cool room. Um, and we've got a couple of trucks now and delivery vehicles. Um, so we manage all that side of the business as well ourselves. And yeah, just like the way I say, it's just it gave the the guys we were just gave us the ability to sort of brew in confidence like we in the past we would only pack off what we needed for that week so that we left it in the tank and it was just kind of like a dumb dumb way to do it so we don't like stockpile we, we've got a we've got like a everything ticks over pretty fresh so um it's not like we're we're stockpiling months ahead at all we, we are sort of week to week with a lot of skews so a lot of time we're delivering off the line but it just opened things right up for us so um that's probably something that we can look into the future and, and think that we're probably going to have to upgrade that a little bit and build a bit of a bigger cool room. So that's probably something that we can start planning ahead on. So you're not looking at like production venues or or anything like that that we've seen other breweries do? No, nah, like I said, we talked about it. It's not, I don't think it's required just yet. I mean, yeah. we, we think that what we've got planned will see us, you know, it'll be us up over 2 million litres. So, um, you know that's that, that's a that is a that's, that's definitely a direction which is going to yeah. take us a wee while to get. But um, yeah, so I think that'll keep us busy for a while. Um, I suppose the the term exit strategy kind of frightens me a little bit, um, <laughs> just because I, you know, I don't I'm not really sure what I'd do if I wasn't doing this. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is this is kind of my my baby as 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 is Trent and that. Okay, so if you're not looking at exit strategies, do you look at some of the you know money that breweries are taking in for what are significantly smaller, you know, just based on the volume numbers you've given us, are significantly smaller than you are now? Mm. Do you sort of think, oh, it would be nice to have some of that free money raining down on us as well by giving away you know, <laughs> less than 10% of, of, of the ownership of the brewery? We could we could get locked up for that in the future. I reckon that could be something that we um no we wouldn't we we it stresses me out thinking about that <laughs> having so many different people involved and stuff. That's just not really for us. But it, well, yeah. I guess it doesn't sound like anybody's. <laughs> yeah, you know, it sounds like the money comes in, but the people aren't getting much apart from getting to buy the beer um, seems to be the yeah. equity crowdfunding model. So I don't think that they get much of a say um, in, in, in the running of the business. So it hasn't, you know, you, you don't look at that and think, gee, you know, we'd be able to uh, take a little bit of you know money off the table and put it in our own pockets if we just sell a little bit of our equity. Uh, I don't know. It sounds, uh, sounds semi-illegal to me. I don't know. It doesn't sound, <laughs> doesn't sound um, that's too good to be true, isn't it? I don't know. Well, if, if it wasn't already happening, I would probably say the same thing, except no. it does seem to be happening and it seems to be, uh, you know, seems to be legit. Yeah. No, I, pr- I appreciate like what it's, it's crowdfunding has worked for so many people and like it's given the ability for breweries to grow and expand business and stuff but we just we just don't need it we're not looking for it um like glenn said we're going to be this latest upgrade will see us over two million and to me that's like a a decent sized production facility with where we're where we are so that'll that'll do us for forever i hope <laughs> <laughs> so just to finish up what next for for, for Grifted? How widely are you distributed now? Like you, you've you've you're over the million liters, but it's 
predominantly in in your own backyard, is it? Do you, are, are you selling interstate, or are you? Because I don't see it up in Queensland. Yeah, well, um, you should. It's around. It's around a little bit. Okay. Um, but we do. We are represented by Redwood Distribution in um, Queensland and Victoria, and then um, and sort of a pretty tight leash. We've kept it on over the years because we haven't really had the capacity to to go wild. But during during lockdown, we've opened up. Um, South Australia and Western Australia as well. Okay. So that'll probably kick off this week. But we're talking some very small amounts, you know, like we're not looking for, you know, national domination or anything like that. But there is a little bit getting around here and there. So, but yeah, you're right. I'd say, you know, 85, 90% of it's within New South Wales. And a lot of that is within Greater Sydney, really. Um, uh, yeah, we are we are looking to sort of strengthen things regionally so we've recently put on a south coast representative so yeah we've got a sales team now of including myself it's uh four of us um so that's changed a fair bit overall for a while it was just myself and and harry doing everything but um sort of strengthening that area a little bit more um to be able to sort of provide a better service but yeah along uh, most of it is in new south wales and yeah i think that's where a lot of it will stay but I think the brand is is sort of ready to go. Like I, I do believe um, we we sort of offer things unique for uh, with what we what we do, and I think it's got it's got a, a spot on the shelf in, in other states for sure. Okay, this this will be a little bit of an out there question. Um, last time I asked you, you know, um, where did you, you know, what was next uh, for you? I, I won't ask that question again, but. <laughs> You've grown organically. You've invested in the things, you know, as you've gone, you've sort of, as things have been needed, you've invested in them. What's something aspirational that you don't have that would, that, that you would, you know, wish each of you um, in, in to, to do your roles within the business? You know, like um, Matt, just hearing you say that you've put on other um, rep, you know, which means that you're able to offer better customer service and things like that. Mm. What's, you know, what, what's something aspirational that, you sort of, that if money wasn't an object, you sort of say, if we had this, we could sell more beer or if, you know, if we were able to, you know, put in more light boxes, what's something that you would really like to uh, just, you know, dream of having at, at your disposal? Oh, I mean, personally, I really love the pubs in Melbourne. I wish we could have like a, a better presence in, in Melbourne just because, I mean, I'm originally from there. Um, and yeah, I, I'm a bit of a, I would probably call myself a bit of a pub enthusiast. And I just really love the venues in Melbourne. And I love going down there and checking out the pub scene and stuff like that. So I would love to have more of a presence down there, which would probably involve having somebody on the ground. But that, I f- feel like our brand is is suited for that sort of area, and I think, okay. I think pretty well. I know I know the scene down there, pretty pretty um pretty big. But yeah, that's something I'd love to be able to do in the future. Any plans to do that, or is that is that one of those things that you, you you're hopeless at planning, <laughs> but one day you'll do it? Oh, we've like talked about it, but nothing nothing no plans there. So. Okay, and Glenn, how about you? Um, I would probably say it would be a new just production only facility. You know, like we've we've shared the space with the public for a long time since we've since we got open here, which has been great. Like I wouldn't change that for the world, but it does have challenges. You know, you, like my team have got their stuff sprawled out everywhere, and then it's a bit of a it's a bit of a rush to get everything out of the way when punters start turning up for beer and stuff. <laughs> right. So it would just be nice to 
you know, not have neighbours there side of you and have to consider them, you know, when you're doing construction or something like that. It would just be nice to be out and be if nowhere and um yeah, just, just have full full reign of equipment would be would be cool. <laughs> but would would you change your venue location if you went back and did it now or was that just part and parcel of Oh no, no, no. It, it would oh no, like I the venue do you mean in terms of like where it's located Yeah, where building? where you are, you know, do do you see those as things that no. have just been or has that been just something that growth has made that an issue for you? Yeah, just growth has made it an issue really. Um like when we got in here, the, the site was massive, you know, we were like, wow, we'll, we'll be able to, you know, just this will be us forever kind of thing. But it's definitely getting to the point now where we know that it'll, it'll have an, the end is in sight kind of thing in terms of volume. And just our days are longer in terms of production, you know, so the canning machine only goes so fast so the day pushes out to when the bars open. And, and so you're kind of, you're doing everything at once. Whereas before it was like, we'll just brew this day and then we'll pack tomorrow. And, <laughs> now there's five, six all going on at once, and then there's people standing there drinking, which is, you know, part of the beauty of, of the space. Like, it's so cool to be able to have um, people who live down the street come down and see people working and making the beer that they're drinking on the spot. But it just, um, you know, it just has its challenges with, with sharing sharing the space for two things which are just so different from each other, production and hospitality. Absolutely. Well, guys, look, I, I could keep chatting uh, for hours, but we are uh, up against time. So, Glenn and Matt, thank you very much for joining us uh, for this conversation about beer, this update about uh, all things Grifter. And uh, I, look, I, I'll be honest, I can't wait till the borders open again so I can get down and hopefully get to have another beer with you in venue. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, cheers. Appreciate the fun. And that was the Grifters, Matt King and Glenn Wignall. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Crime Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Crime Malt is dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. We thank Crime Malt for sponsoring this episode of Beer as a Conversation. Now, if you're a listener, don't forget that you can join the conversation on the best discussion group on the internet, the Radio Brews News Facebook group. To join our Facebook group, just search for Radio Brews News in Facebook and use the password Soapbox. If you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out by doing something as simple as reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or on your favourite podcasting service if they allow you to do it. You can email us and join the conversation by emailing producer at brewsnews.com.au to share your thoughts or voice alternative opinions or if you're feeling particularly cashed up, you can sponsor the show. Every little bit helps. But more than anything, thank you for listening. 